Acts, the 15th chapter. Be good if you want later today to go and read the entire chapter. I won't take time to do that this morning. We did that last Lord's Day. Um, But I know some of you weren't here, so I'm going to read at least to verse number... um, Let's see, where is James finish? It goes quite a ways. Let's, we'll just read through um, verse number 11. That will give us the context for what we're going to talk about this morning. Acts chapter 15, verse number 1, and we'll read through verse number 11. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, You know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this morning, thanking you, Father, for this day that you've given us. Uh, Father, thank you for the, the health and the strength that our bodies have to be able to come here this morning. Thankful even further still, Father, for a heart that, that hungers and thirsts after righteousness and desires, Father, to hear your word proclaimed. Father, that, that wants to be fed Uh, Father, with manna from above that wants to feed upon, as we were talking about this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sustains us and gives us life, even as, Father, we were talking this morning about the children of Israel in the wilderness that you sustained by the manna that you sent from above. Father, we ask this morning that as we are gathered here together, that you would be pleased to, Father, come into our midst. You said whether two or three are gathered together, there you would be in our midst. Uh, Also, Father, if we're gathered together in your name, and Father, we... We believe that that's the cause for which we have come. We believe that we're gathered to hear, Father, in your name to hear from you, to have you speak unto us and minister unto our hearts. Father, pray that you would speak unto each and every person here this morning, Father, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our understanding, help us to see and know, Father, and understand the things from what we're looking at this morning that that we need, that are needful for us, for encouragement, that are needful for us, for instruction. Father, we pray that you would be with us this coming week, that you would, Father, cause each and every one of us to to be able to glorify, Father, your name in the midst of all that we come into contact with, Father, that we might be uh, a bright and a shining light, 
Father, unto them that they may see the hope that we have and desire, Father, even as you work in their hearts by your Spirit to have that same hope and realize that same hope in their lives. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, verse number 10 is where really I'm coming from this morning. Verse number 10 had to do with the yoke put upon the neck of the disciples, which the apostle says we weren't able to bear, nor were our forefathers able to bear. So, the title of the message this morning is A Yoke Upon the Neck. And there's lots of things that we could yoke upon and put around people's necks that would cause them to be hindered from believing the gospel. I don't think that necessarily we have anything of that nature in our midst, but there are those that would uh, have people meet certain conditions before they could be eligible for salvation, before they could be eligible for the grace of God that there is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. By grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is something that, that God gives as a gift, that no conditions that, that He puts upon it, that men must do a certain thing in, in order to receive the salvation that is in Christ. Any honest, seeking, and searching sinner who feels the guilt of his sins that, have been, that has been placed there by God Himself, and God has been gracious enough to grant them repentance, to, to even ask for repentance, to even seek God in salvation, God doesn't require anything of them but to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ with the faith that He gives, that He gives as a gift. And He says here in verse number 11 that we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved even as we. It's not through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and something else, and circumcision or and anything else. It's just through Christ. So there's nothing else that needs to be added. Nothing else that needs to be done in addition to that which Christ has already done in order to pay for, earn um, in any way our salvation. A yoke was being placed upon the neck of the Gentiles that was too heavy for them to bear. When our Lord plainly says in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy. The yoke they wanted to put on was heavy. It was burdensome. It was not able to be borne. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden, it's light. It's not a burden that's not able to be borne. It's a burden that can be borne. It's a burden that can be carried. It's a yoke that can be put around the neck and upon the shoulders, and it can be pulled. So the apostles speak here of a yoke too hard to bear. And our Lord says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. How many people, you may know some people, how many people this morning are laboring to get in? They're doing things. They're laboring to get in and they just can't seem to get there. I spoke last night with someone who was laboring to get in. And I keep trying to tell him, look, it's not by things that you do. It's by what Christ has done. You need to believe upon Him and put your faith and your hope and your trust in Him and all these other external things that you keep 
you know, bringing up and they're concerned about, you know, those things aren't conditions by which God is going to grant you salvation. Salvation's only going to come through His Son. That's the only condition that He has made. So this morning we could ask people this question, what are you depending upon? Because the yoke that the believing Pharisees wanted to put on the Gentiles was too hard to bear. What are you depending upon? If it's anything in addition to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a yoke and a burden too hard to bear. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Stand fast, therefore. We were talking about that word the other day, brother. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You know, they wanted to bring these people back into bondage to some things. And it was a yoke of bondage they were trying to bring them back under just in this thing of circumcision, which would have opened a door for all the other things that the Judaizers were constantly trying to get the Gentiles who believed to you know, come back under the, the, this shelter. You know? I mean, this is what God's appointed through the Old Covenant. Here we have the temple, we have the sacrifice. This is, you know, it would have just opened the floodgate for all of those things to enter in. Where does it stop? You know, if it's Christ and circumcisions, what else do we have to add? Well, if you're going to do circumcision, well, what about the other, the other things that, that God commanded Moses? You know, what else, when's it going to stop? You know, what else is it that has to be done? No, it's Christ and Christ alone. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that those who had been circumcised who believed that Christ profited them nothing. It means a person who put their faith in circumcision for salvation that Christ profits them nothing because their faith's in that and not in Christ. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. See, it brings in that sort of idea that we're talking about. Where does it stop? After circumcision, we've got to enter in the whole thing now. And if you sin in one point, the Bible says you sin in all. You know, you've broken the whole law if you've broken one. So, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who's going to be able to bear that yoke? Who's going to be able to bear that burden? That's what he's saying. It's too heavy. They can't bear this burden. So, in other words, if you're going to keep that in hopes of justifying you, that is circumcision, Paul is saying, then you are indebted according to your hope of salvation to keep the law in its entirety. Paul plainly tells us in Romans, Therefore, by the works of the flesh, you know, the works of the flesh, you know, the things that you can do in the flesh, you know, you're not going to be justified. You can't be justified that way. It's not going to happen. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He does not design. He didn't designate to those Gentiles who received faith that Peter speaks of there, purifying their hearts in faith in verse number 9, who received the Holy Ghost in verse number 8, to be circumcised. This is the point that Peter's trying to make with them. If they're going to do that, they're going to be debtors to the whole law to fulfill all its precepts. I read something that was interesting. I thought I'd share it with you. Um, yeah, according to the Old Covenant. This, this is just, this is an illustration that someone has, has developed. It's not something that happened to any one individual that we, that we know of, but it's, it's about a, a, a woman and her her children, a widow. Uh, he says, there's a widow in our neighborhood who had two orphan children. She had one field, and when she began to plow it, 
a person came and said, thou shalt not plow. All she had was an ox and an ass. And he said, he can't plow with an ox and ass together. That can't be done. Um, so here she had a problem plowing. When she went to sow the field, he said, you cannot sow your field with different sorts of seeds, various seeds. When she began to reap and to gather the sheaves together, he said, you've got to leave a handful on the corners of the field for the poor. And when she began to thresh it, he said, give me the wave offering and the first and the second tithes. And she did as was commanded and then went and sold her field and bought you know, two lambs that she might clothe herself and her family with wool and get profit by the lambs. And when they brought forth their lambs, Aaron came and said, Give me the firstlings. For the holy, blessed God hath said, All the firstborn, whosoever openeth the womb, shall be thine. So she yielded to his demands and gave him the two lambs. And when shearing time came, he said, Give me the firstfruits of the wool. And when the widow had done this, she said, I cannot stand before this man. I will kill my sheep and eat them. And when she had killed the sheep, Aaron came and said, Give me the shoulder and the jaws and the ventricle. And the widow said, Though I have killed my sheep, I am not delivered from this man. I therefore consecrate the whole to God. And then Aaron said, All belongs to me. For the holy blessed God hath said everything that is consecrated in Israel shall be his. In other words, the priests. He therefore took the whole carcass and marched off, leaving the widow and her orphan daughters overwhelmed with affliction. This is a terrible picture of the requisite or the requisitions of the Mosaic ritual. And this is an exaggerated you know, sort of illustration. And it contains... You know things that that were required, um, but it's a yoke that was hard to be born. I mean, can you imagine this woman had a field and you got to give this, you got to give that, and then she sells, I'll just sell the field. I'll get me some lambs. You know, I'll be able to at least clothe and feed my children. But you got to give me the firstborn. She shears a sheep. Well, you got to give that to us too. You know, all <laughs> everything was given. She doesn't have anything. I'll just kill the lambs and eat them. Now, you can't do that either. The portion of that's mine as well. Um, so. You, you understand, I mean, that what he's trying to illustrate there, the yoke, you know, of, of the law, the bondage there. And, and most people would agree with us that salvation is, is by grace through faith. You know, you're not going to find a bone of contention with most anybody from other sorts of churches, other religions. They're going to say, there's too much in Scripture that they can't deny it, that we're saved by grace through faith. But they will add something else unto it. You know, there's something else as a condition that you have to meet in a plus being saved by grace through faith. Something else you must do in order to become a candidate. Here in this situation, you need to be circumcised. That's what you've got to do. You've got to become circumcised. But they make these things essential to salvation. And we talked last Lord's Day about essentials and non-essentials. You know, these are things that they make essential to salvation. This circumcision was something they were trying to make essential to salvation. Paul and Barnabas and Peter says no. And James says no, we can't do that. You know, that can't be. It's not Christ and. So they make these things essential to salvation. And, and you've got to meet these qualifications. These qualifications have to exist you know, before, in your life before you can become a candidate for salvation itself. And they make these demands upon your entire life. But Paul says, and it's not unusual. I mean, this is something that was happening even in Paul's day. In Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, you remember what he said to the Galatians there. He says, Oh, Galatians, who has bewitched you? you know, who, who, has, who has taken you away from the hope that there is in Christ? 
and put your hope in something else, that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth as crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you're now being made perfect by the flesh? So people put qualifications and put all these restrictions upon salvations. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. Some say you have to be baptized before you can be a candidate you know, for the grace of God. Others believe that you've got to partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. If you sin between partaking of the Lord's Supper before you take the Lord's Supper again, then you know, you're lost. Or you must be re-baptized in Jesus' name if you weren't baptized in Jesus' name the first time. Or you've got to dress a certain way, eat certain things. Speak a certain way. You've got to speak in tongues. Or you're not, you, know, you can't be saved. Even some that we might be familiar with, unless you believe the five points of Calvinism, you can't be saved. I know some people who I believe know the Lord, and they aren't five pointers. But a person who wants to be a believer, who wants to be a Christian, you know, he may wonder himself, I'm not sure if I qualify. And it's no wonder with all of the, the different qualifications that men put upon salvation that they think that way. What qualifications shall we put upon a person coming to Christ? Shall we say you must do that or that or you must just dress this way or that way? Don't eat that, don't touch that, or you can't be saved. That's what this passage really amounts to. I mean, to bring it into you know, modern, uh, you know, day in which we live in. The primitive Baptists believe a person is not even a candidate for hearing the gospel unless they determine that he is an awakened sinner. Won't even preach the gospel to them. Others say you must be hungry and thirsty enough for righteousness or they may say you are not broken enough or you're not old enough or you don't know enough or you don't feel bad enough. All sorts of things of that nature. Or you must be willing to go to hell for the glory of God or you can't be saved. There's all sorts of qualifications that men will put upon people who seek to be saved. Depending upon the circle that you're in, you may not be good enough or you may not be bad enough to be a Christian. So, but are there valid scriptural qualifications that a sinner must meet to receive the grace of God? And we see some of these qualifications that aren't valid. But are there any valid ones? John the Baptist came baptizing and told those Pharisees who wanted to be baptized, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. The rich young ruler, the Lord told him, go sell all that you have and come and follow me. James says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought and tells us that God gives grace to the humble. If we'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he will raise us up. <clears throat> Doesn't the Bible also say, come all ye that thirst? Well, yes. You have to be thirsty. And you're not going to come unless you are. A person must thirst. What about all ye that labor and are heavy laden? What about he that believes upon me has eternal life? He must believe. You know, there, there, are, there are some things that must be true 
in order for a person to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of these other qualifications that they would want to put upon the neck of the Gentiles, like circumcision, are burdens and yokes too hard to be born. Whosoever will, come. Well, you must will. You must want to come. By grace you save through faith. We read that right off the bat. You must have faith. Where does that come from? It's a gift from God. The object of all of these things, though, is the Lord Jesus Christ. In Him, that we believe in Him. In Him that we come, that we come into Him. It's before Him that we bow. He's the qualification for our salvation and nothing else. What about all those invalid qualifications? Those who say that you must do this or you must do that to be saved. Could any of those people be saved? It's possible. Could it keep some people from coming unto the Lord and putting faith in something else that, that it shouldn't be in? Absolutely. Some of these people were already circumcised. Could they be saved? Yeah. Could be. As long as their faith's not in circumcision and it's in Christ. Paul said circumcision or uncircumcision means nothing. Nothing. Yeah, that must have been a real blow to the Jew. I mean, he had been raised. This had been... This had, instruction had been given to him just about from birth in all of these ordinances and things. And then somebody comes along and says, circumcision, uncircumcision, it doesn't mean anything. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen through 20 says, But as God, has, as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I ought in all churches is any man being called being circumcised let him not become uncircumcised is any called in uncircumcision let him not be circumcised circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called whatever you had your hope in before you saw Christ as the only hope for your salvation it's nothing Circumcised, fine. It's Christ. It's not your circumcision. Uncircumcised, it's Christ, not your uncircumcision. And there are other things that, that fall into the, the fringes of these matters. I once attended a church where if the woman did not wear a covering over her head, it was considered an offense unto God. There were even extras, you know, in the drawer. If you forgot yours, you can put one on. Other people won't eat pork because they believe it's wrong. I don't have a problem eating pork. Brother, you have a problem eating pork? I don't have a problem eating pork. But it's what their conscience demands of them. If that church is still in existence where they wore those little doilies on their head, you know, mom's not wearing one now. You know, when I was a kid, she had one on every Sunday when we walked in, every Wednesday night. That thing went on the head, you know. I'd stare at it wondering, well, what is all this about? But their conscience, they believed. They believed that this was pleasing. And if they did not do this, it was displeasing unto the Lord. It's what their consciences demanded of them. The person's reasoning, you know, they look at us and they say, well, they just don't know. Every Sunday they go to church, they walk in that building, and they don't have that thing on their heads. 
And they are offending God every single Lord's Day and every Wednesday night. Their reasoning may be defective. They may have been taught some things wrong. Not necessarily just saying just that situation. I'm saying, you know, there's a lot of things. I heard Brother Tim talk about his dad coming this weekend and that this afternoon they may go fishing. Some people have a real problem with that. Well, this is the Lord's Day. You can't go out and go fishing today. You can't even go to the grocery store. You can't buy a loaf of bread. You can't don't go to a restaurant. You go to a restaurant and you know you're supporting a restaurant that's causing somebody to be out of church. Well, if certain people I know were here, I'd step on their toes with that. But that's their conscience. That's okay. You know, they are honoring and worshiping God devoutly in that they believe that is wrong for them. They can do nothing else. They must do that. And that is not a condition for salvation like circumcision. You know, the essential is here in our text. Some of those things are the non-essential things. You know. Romans 14, 5 and 6 says, One man esteemeth one day above another, another man esteemeth every day alike. Every day is the same to him. He says, Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth a day, regardeth, you know, one day, the day, that one day, regards it unto the Lord. The other man that regards every day alike, he regards it unto the Lord. It's, it, you know, every day is the same to him. If he put one day above another, it, it, would, it would, you know, it would offend his conscience. You can't do that. The other man, he, one day is above the rest of them. If he regarded every day the same as that day, you know, it would offend his conscience. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. You know, one can eat pork, one doesn't eat pork. You know, one can eat boot in, the other can't eat boot in. You know. Each to his own conscience. One conscience may be weaker than the other. That's difficult to decide sometimes. Who has the weaker conscience? He goes on to say in Romans 14, 18 through 23, For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. So, if a person's serving the Lord in this, if they really believe, truly believe, this is, this is the way that I must honor Christ in my life, it's acceptable, it says, to God. He may come to a place later on in his life where he sees, well, I wasn't really right about that. You know, I feel like I have liberty now that I can, I can eat that pork. You know, or I can go to the grocery store on Sunday. You know, it's okay. He says, for meat doesn't destroy the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. And so we, who may have liberty to do something, we cannot do it, because it offends the conscience of our brother. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that 
condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So here this man has a problem with his conscience in doing this. He can't do it or he regards it as sin before God. Another man, he doesn't have a problem with it. He has liberty to do it and it's not sin before God. We do or not do unto the Lord. And our Lord is concerned with our devotion to Him. We may be wrong. We may be wrongly devoted. But our consciences will not allow us to do otherwise. As a person understands things for him, to do whatever it is that he feels he should not do, if he were to do it, it's offensive. It would be sinful. He goes on to say in Romans 15 verse 1, We then that are strong, and I made mention of this in, in principle, I didn't quote the passage last Lord's Day, but I mentioned it in principle. We then that are strong ought to bear with the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So this morning, <clears throat> we have the Lord's table here <clears throat> inside that cup. My, my taste buds aren't, aren't well enough developed probably to distinguish between whether or not somebody would have poured grape juice or wine within that cup. It was grape juice, by the way, this morning. It would offend some people. Some people in our assembly here to have wine. I don't have to have wine. You know, I can drink grape juice. You know, there's nothing, nothing says that it has to be wine. Grape juice is fine with me. If it offends the conscience of my brother. There, there are people in, in our assembly here who have had horrible bouts with alcoholism. They don't want another drop of alcohol to touch their lips. It's offensive unto them. Grape juice is fine. You that are strong ought to bear with the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We're not always going to see eye to eye with others in everything. We may have liberty that they do not have. What are we going to do? Just write them off? I can't do that. We bear with them. Seek to be of help to them. Pray for them. Love them. Nurture them. Come beside them. Bear the weight with them. Goes back to those essentials and non-essentials, doesn't it? You who are stronger in the non-essential category. Show tolerance. That's what he's saying. And love towards the weaker. And in the essential category... Be determined for unity. We've got to be unified on this. Circumcision, it can't be a condition for salvation. It's Christ and Christ alone. Faith in Him, it can't be circumcision too. Circumcision was something they needed to be unified about because it was a qualification for salvation. To the Jew, perfect, it was perfectly reasonable. In his mind, perfectly reasonable for us to put this, this uh, condition upon the Gentile. We've been circumcised. The Lord commanded it of us. Why not them? To the Gentile, it's probably a thing hard to be understood. What does circumcision have to do with Christ? 
You know, why do we need to be circumcised? The Jew could relate to his heritage, to his tradition, but the Gentile was just having trouble. You know, what does this have to do with anything? They made it a preparatory condition to the believing preparatory condition to faith in Christ. But the apostles could see faith would be misplaced in something else besides Christ. How may I be saved? How can I come? There are people who are persuaded that there's not a God, there's not a devil, there's not a hell. There's not an eternity. None of these things exist. They don't qualify. They'll die in the end just like an animal. Other people who believe they're just as good as anybody else. I'm just as good as you. You think you need faith in Christ? I don't think I do. People that feel like they've led a, led a good life, have no need of salvation, they don't qualify. They can't be saved. Not unless, unless I see the, the look on your face, not unless that changes. If they stay in that condition, there's, there's, they can't be saved. I'm not saying the Lord can't come and can't intervene and can't give them grace to see their need of Christ. But if they stay in that condition, they do not qualify for salvation. But if a person believes there is one, one true and living God, they believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he's given to be a sacrifice for our sins. They feel themselves a sinner. That man I was talking to last night, he's in that category. He doesn't not believe that there's a God. He doesn't not believe there's a devil. He does not believe that there's a hell that was intended for the devil and his angels. He does not, not believe there's not an eternity. The problem he has right now is, do I qualify? Do I qualify as a candidate for salvation? Can God save me? Will God save me? That's the condition he's in. He wants to be righteous. He wants to be clean. He wants to be saved. He wants to trust in Christ as a Savior. He qualifies. As a candidate. I don't have to add anything else. I don't say, well, you know, you've got to do this. And you've got to do that. No, I just keep, every time I talk to him, I point him to Christ. And he'll say, you mean it's just Christ and that's all? I say, yes, it's Christ and that's it. Just believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue looking unto him. Seeking Him. Whosoever will may come. He wills. He wants to come. I said, but if you ever turn away from that hope, you don't qualify. I told him that last night. If you ever turn away from, from Him, that's your only hope. You turn your back on Him and you're damned for eternity. But He qualifies for the grace of God which God gives to sinners simply by believing and trusting in Him. Now, I know as you know, and I believe as you believe, that unless the Father draws, that person can't come unto the Son. I understand that. I understand that. But, 
that's the condition this man's in. You know, who's going to desire Christ? Unless God has done something like that in his heart. Who wants to come? Except the one that the Father gives the will to come. So conditions. What conditions will we put upon a man? What will we tell a man? How that asked me, how shall I be saved? The eunuch, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? What was the answer? If you truly believe, thou mayest. If you truly believe. Now people can fool us. I'm sure that there are men that I know, godly men who have as much discernment as anybody else. You have more discernment than I do. And have, have been fooled and duped by people and have put them under the water in baptism and they turned out not to be what they professed to be. Think about old Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. That was the thing this person was telling me he was having trouble with last night. He said, I'm having a lot of trouble with the things of this world. I said, it's a snare. It is a snare. The love of the things of this world, the love of, of riches. I said, they can choke out the word. And we see that in the parable of the sower. I said, but if you're, if you're in good soul, if your faith is in Christ, in Christ alone, the Bible says you'll yield 40, 60, some, 100 fold. So the things that you're telling me right now that, that you're having trouble letting go of because you enjoy them, you'll hate. You'll hate them more than you love them. The things of, the things of Christ will become all in all to you. They will be your utmost desire. And it's not that we don't all fall into states at times where it's difficult for us to pray. We do find times like that. He's asked me about that too. He said, well, this week I'm just in a, he called it a spiritual funk. He said, I'm just having, having trouble praying. Having trouble reading my Bible. I think most of us were honest. We have some of those same times that we go through. I said, it's then when we need to pray the most. Then when we need to seek the Lord the most. And he asked me, he said, do you really have assurance that if you were to die today, that, that you would go to heaven? I said, yes. As I stand before you right now, I do. I, said, I, can't, I haven't always had that. But at this point in my life, yes, I can say that I do. But I'll tell you, at the same time, I know where that assurance comes from. It comes from God. I'm not trying to assure myself. It's like we've been talking about in Romans on Wednesday nights. I'm not trying to assure myself. This is something that the Spirit of God is bearing witness with my spirit that I am his child. I said, if tomorrow, or I actually used Teresa and the kids as an example. I said, this Wednesday they're going to the doctor. I said, they had a car accident, and my three children, my unborn child, and my wife were to all die and perish in a car accident. And wave upon wave of things came against me. I might start to have some doubts and, and some fears, and unbelief would try to creep in. I said, I'm not immune to those things, except that God keeps me. He must keep me. I can't imagine what Job thought. I mean, we had some things recorded, but can you imagine all those things that happened unto him? I said, but if you want that assurance, it's something that I cannot give you. It's something that God must give unto you. You must seek him 
He can give you that assurance. He said, boy, I'd like to have that assurance. I'd like to know. I'd like to have the peace. People see the peace that you have and they want it. They desire it. They see your life at peace or they see your life in turmoil and they see the peace that you have. 